I will plead not guilty to these charges. I will defeat them in court. I believe this is a politically motivated investigation. Uh, I am troubled by the political motivations of the prosecutors. Uh, and as I have said previously, there is no circumstance whatsoever under which I will bear false witness against the president, nor will I make up lies to ease the pressure on myself. That was Roger Stone speaking on the courthouse steps Friday, not long after he was arrested by the FBI on charges brought by special counsel Robert Mueller for obstruction, lying to congressional investigators, and witness tampering. It was the culmination of a months-long investigation by the Russiagate prosecutors into a man who for nearly 40 years was a close friend and political advisor to Donald J. Trump. The indictment against Stone unveiled damning new evidence of Stone's false statements to the House Intelligence Committee about his efforts to learn about damaging emails hacked by Russian military intelligence and released by WikiLeaks during the closing weeks of the 2016 presidential campaign. It also included evidence of multiple contacts with senior Trump campaign officials about the issue, including an allegation that one such official was, quote, directed, end quote, to contact Stone about what document dumps WikiLeaks was planning. Directed by whom? The indictment doesn't say. But does all this bring us any closer to learning once and for all if the Trump campaign actually colluded with the Russians, or for that matter, anybody at WikiLeaks? We'll discuss on this special episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So this is the big indictment we've been waiting for for quite some time. We've known that uh, Roger Stone was squarely in Mueller's sights. Uh, Mueller and his team had been investigating and calling in everybody around Roger Stone. We long thought he was going to be indicted. Now we've seen the indictment at long last. There's some pretty damning stuff in here about Stone's tactics, his communications with Trump campaign officials, and uh, his efforts to intimidate a witness who we're going to talk about in a moment, who's been a frequent skullduggery guest, Randy Credico. But as I mentioned in the introduction there, it's not at all clear if Stone did have any direct contacts with WikiLeaks. In fact, the indictment is completely absent of any evidence that he did. And that raises the question of where, if anywhere, Mueller goes from here. Yeah, Roger Stone uh, is kind of uh, the linchpin in the Mueller investigation, at least he would seem to be. He's sort of at the center of everything. He connects all of the disparate strands, the Trump campaign, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, potentially the Russians. He, he seems like he is the key 
to solving this whole mystery, and also a history and a proclivity for engaging in exactly the kind of skullduggery that we've been talking about on this podcast right. for the last year, since, of course, we know that he was engaging in dirty tricks, his own words, going back to the Nixon administration. And yet, as you point out, this still is a mystery. And uh, Mueller has not so far, at least in his public pleadings, been able to connect all the dots. And we don't know where this is going. I, I will say, you know, one of the things that is so frustrating about all of this is if you look at what Roger Stone and the people around him have said publicly, what they've put in emails, in text messages, they are all but admitting that they have done all of these things that people think that they have done, and then they backtrack. So, you know, they've all said that they've been in contact with, with Assange and WikiLeaks at some point, then they backtrack from that. They've all made predictions about when these emails were going to be dumped, right. and those predictions were pretty much accurate. Now we know in these emails they've taken credit for some of these things, which they later denied doing. They've been praised for doing them by senior members of the Trump campaign, and right. yet it's all kind of a mirage. Yeah. You know, you don't know what it adds up to. The uh, indictment cites multiple contacts with people in the Trump campaign, at least one of whom we know is Steve Bannon, because some of his uh, emails with Stone have been publicly released before. And it is clear that the Trump campaign was eagerly seeking to find out what Julian Assange had in terms of further material that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton. And this is well after it was pretty well understood that uh, what WikiLeaks had was the fruits of hacking by Russian military intelligence hackers. You know, that on its face would seem to raise questions about why the Trump campaign would be so interested in learning about this material and basically deputizing Stone to find out. Well, one thing know, seems pretty clear is that they would have colluded if they'd had the opportunity. Right, you know, right, someone, right. and also, I think the Mueller indictment says this, that Stone may not have had direct contact with Assange, but certainly not for a lack of trying, right? No, no. He was doing everything he could. And that's where this guy, Jerome Corsi, notorious conspiracist, uh, fits in. Stone was pushing him to um, find out what Assange might have. But it's worth noting that Corsi, who had been threatened with indictment by Mueller, wasn't charged today in this indictment, nor was the guy we're going to be talking about in a moment, Randy Credico. There's one more character that I think for people who have not been following this as closely as you have, probably never heard his name before, but he's in this indictment. So I just think it might be worth talking about him just for a second. Who's Ted Malik? Ted Malik is this London-based academic who was a big Trump supporter, at one point was even talked about for a major ambassadorial appointment, either as U.S. ambassador to the court of St. James or someplace else in Europe. And uh, he apparently was in communication with Corsi. Corsi, by the way, just so our listeners remember, is the guy who spread the birther conspiracy stuff back in 2011, wrote a book, you know, where's the birth certificate, and seems to have been helping to advise Donald Trump during his birther days. And so um, Corsi, after being contacted by Stone, reaches out to Malik. Malik asks him to go see Assange. And then later, emails Stone saying there's going to be tranches coming in October. 
yet it's not at all clear whether Malik actually did contact Assange. He was questioned by the FBI at one point at an airport, and he too was not charged in this case. I think we could take some personal pride in this indictment, though, because we anticipated almost all of it in that interview we did with Randy Credico just a month ago. We've talked to Randy Credico many times. You know, he's a comic. Uh, We find his uh, impressions amusing. We'll be playing one of them in a moment here. But, you know, we didn't know what to make of our interview with Credico last month. Now, wow, we look at it and like almost everything in this indictment was uh, anticipated in that interview. So I think we should just play a little of it so uh, people could get a flavor for what we're talking about. Let's start out. Here's a clip in which we are asking Credico about his trip to London in September of 2016, late September. And in the indictment on October 1st, 2016, person two, that's Credico, sends Stone text messages that state, and this is, I'm reading from the indictment here, big news Wednesday, Hillary's campaign will die this week. Now, we asked Credico about that uh, when we interviewed him just a month ago. Uh, Let's listen to that clip. I got totally whacked out because at the Heathrow Airport, the duty-free shop, you buy, but they also have bars at every, like the gin, the bourbon, the cognac, and I was so whacked. So on my way back, I sent them a text message Big news. Yes. Uh, yes. Big right. news yes. Wednesday. Yeah, right. On October said, Yes, right. Right. And then you went on to say, no, now pretend you don't know me. Right. And Stone writes back, you died five years ago. Right. And then you write back, great. And then you write, Hillary's campaign will die this week. Right. Now, Roger Stone is using those texts, your right. text, Hillary's campaign will die this week, as proof that you were his back channel to Assange, tipping him off to the release of the Podesta emails, which is at the core of the Russia investigation right Right. now. Did Roger Stone have an inside track to what Julian Assange was going to do with emails stolen by Russian military intelligence? And those texts do seem to suggest you knew something. Right. Yeah, I know they. I, I see that. You could assume that that day, that on the 1st of October, I got in to see Assange, in spite of what the evidence shows, you take a look at the logs, which were uh, released by the Ecuadorian government, I did not get in. He said on Hannity, I did not get in. I was there to see Barry Crimmins. The thing is, if people would just use logic, why would Julian Assange see a guy he's never met, had him on his radio show one time, to tell him that emails are coming out on Wednesday, make sure you tell Roger Stone. If there was any logic applied to this entire theory, you would know it was BS. So explain why you would have, I mean, I know you were drunk at the time, but why would you have constructed that tweet and text message? campaign well, will because, die this week. Because yeah. he had been riding me over this Gary Johnson to get some information on this Dr. Paul. And I said I was going to, but I was never planning to see him. I was no chance I was going to see him. I had a note from the radio station from Bertolt Reimers to drop off at the embassy. It was like a scene out of the Adams Family thing coming out and pulling this envelope from right. Bertolt Reimers. And that was it. So I don't know why I put that out there. 
Assange had been teasing he was doing something uh, the first week in October. And it was just unlucky for me to send that to him, joking with him. Okay, so there we have it. So we think possibly this will be some of the smoking gun evidence to uh, prove collusion that Randy Credico is headed to London to meet with Julian Assange. He actually writes out the email saying that Hillary's campaign is going to die. But it turns out he's, in his words, whacked out. And by the way, but this is he's at drunk some point and he's bullshitting. He's drunk That's and he's bullshitting. Right. And so at one point, I think we referred to him. I think I referred to him in a tweet as being drunk. And he tweeted back at me saying he doesn't use that term. He only says whacked out. So okay. I don't know. Right. I mean, what do we make of this? It's like the Carl, I think it was Karl Marx who said history repeats itself as tragedy and then as farce or something yeah. like that. I mean, <laughs> Uh, were Woodward and Bernstein dealing with characters like Randy Credico? <laughs> Look, you know, these are two professional bullshitters, serial bullshitters, Stone and Credico. And on its face, you would think the uh, text messages, these were, these were text messages that Credico is sending to Stone is, you know, smoking gun evidence. You know, Hillary's campaign will die this week. It actually tends to support Stone's claim that he did have a back channel to WikiLeaks and it was Randy Credico. But of course, Credico's account is he didn't know anything. He was just drunk and joking around uh, with Stone. So he says, and again, Credico has not been indicted here, but it is in the indictment and Credico is talking about it with us. And meanwhile, I mean, Credico spent how many hours? I mean, dozens of hours. I know there was one time when he was there for like eight hours with Mueller. Right. right. So Mueller was taking this seriously. But Mueller was taking it seriously because they thought that Credico could unlock the mystery here by uh, establishing what exactly Stone knew from Julian Assange. It turns out, you know, there's not much there. Then let's get to the next clip where you ask Credico directly whether Mueller's got evidence of any direct contacts that Stone would have had with Assange or anybody at WikiLeaks. And let's listen to that. In all of the conversations you've had with Mueller's prosecutors, with FBI agents in the course of this investigation and their questioning of you, have you left this process thinking they have evidence that Roger Stone was coordinating in some way with Julian Assange and knew that these email dumps were coming. I don't think that they have evidence that he's dealt directly with Julian Assange. I don't or, indirectly. or indirectly. Or I don't know if they have that. I don't think so. It would be an unwitting thing by Julian Assange. Okay, so it actually raises an interesting question, directly or indirectly, because even if there was no direct contact with Julian Assange, there are all these other potential cutouts. Randy Credico denies it, but he could have been one of them. Jerome Corsi, this character in London, maybe none of them did. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't someone who did. Maybe there's someone that we haven't heard about yet. Right. And I suspect that uh, Mueller's people, you know, certainly believe that may be the case. The indictment would suggest that they can't prove it, and there's no hint of who that real intermediary may have been. Well, let me ask but you this. All, let me ask yeah. you this question, Isakoff, because is it possible that there was already enough out there, kind of in the public, things that Assange had said or people close to him had said, so that a Credico or Stone himself or others could have just, because they were bullshit artists, could have just 
said, okay, this stuff is coming, even though they didn't know it, and it's coming around now. Because it does seem like quite a coincidence that all the predictions they made seem to have come true. Among them was Stone saying that John Podesta's time in the barrel was about to come. Right. And that's been Stone's story from the get-go, that you know he just inferred from public comments that Assange had made, that he had more damaging material to come. Uh, well, is that persuasive know, to you? It's always been plausible, but, you know, given that it's Roger Stone talking, you got to be extremely skeptical. And then you put on top of that, and I think, you know, this is the most damning stuff in the indictment, how Stone handled the House Intelligence Committee investigation. First, he brazenly lies to them. That's pretty clear from the indictment. We hadn't seen his testimony before because his testimony, like all witnesses in the Russia probe, were behind closed doors and was never publicly released. But he is asked directly when he testifies in 2017, did he have any emails and texts or any documents relating to his efforts to try to decipher what was going to be in the WikiLeaks emails or any communications with Assange. And he says, absolutely not. He says, no, none. And then you, of course, read the indictment and you see all these emails and texts he's having with Corsi and Credico and Trump campaign officials, all of which would have been responsive to the question being asked by the House Intelligence Committee about whether he had any emails or documents or text messages. And he clearly did not want to turn them over. And so he okay. brazenly all lies. Right. Okay. So all that begs a pretty big question. I mean, why? It, well, why it, Right. If there's no if there's no collusion, if he wasn't in direct contact with Julian Assange or the Russians, if he didn't know in advance when these email dumps were coming and it wasn't coordinating them, then why? Why lie so brazenly? Why tamper with witnesses? Why subject yourself to the likelihood that you're going to be indicted, which now he has been? What's right. the motive? One possible explanation is He's a professional liar. He's lied all his life. He's a self-styled dirty trickster. Let's remember a little bit about his history. Roger Stone goes back to the Nixon re-election campaign, and he was one of the so-called rat fuckers during the Nixon campaign who was doing engaged in you know dirty tricks against Democrats who were running for president in 1972. So he has that long, rich History. A lot of that was uh, going on in Florida, right? Is which is where yes, he lives. Yes, Donald Segretti and all of that. <laughs> right. And you know, he caught the attention of Watergate investigators. He was questioned by the FBI in the course of the Watergate investigation. And then, of course, over the course of the next nearly 40 years, he's got this close relationship with Donald Trump. They're introduced, they meet through Roy Cohn, the, you know, the notorious hatchet man for Joe McCarthy, who became the political fixer and lawyer for mobsters and crooked pals in New York uh, for decades. This was his. Uh, this is how he began his relationship with Donald Trump. So this so, is just this is just who he is. He plays 
Roger Stone on television, and he also happens to be Roger Stone. In fact, right. I'd point out that uh, everyone in the office here, when they were watching his uh, presser um, after he was arraigned, said that he put on makeup. <laughs> he had like put on makeup yeah. to go before the cameras, and apparently he right, called right. CNN to make Nixon sure CNN would be there. Sign, so uh, yeah, yeah, the Nixon arms. victory sign. So it is very kind of meta in a way, and I think that could be a plausible explanation. I have to say, if I was a an investigator, you know, investigating this case, I don't think I would accept that as the explanation. I don't think Mueller's team has, but it's a, man, it's weird shit. Right, right. And there's two other clips worth playing because they also mirror items in the indictment. And this is, again, you know, talked about the damning evidence of Stone lying. And then you have the pretty damning evidence of his thuggish behavior in his efforts to basically intimidate Randy Credico to give a public story and a story to congressional investigators that matches what Stone has said to wit that Credico was, in fact, his back-channel intermediary to WikiLeaks and Assange. And when Credico begins to deviate from that and publicly telling people such as myself, by the way, that he was not such a back channel. Something that was we, in your book, right? It was that, that was in Russian book, roulette, right? And, and what was in the book actually set Stone off. And uh, one of the things which we have previously gotten are uh, texts that Stone sent to Credico after my book, after he learned that my what was going to be in my book, because I actually had to go to Stone for comment about the book. And he went pretty ballistic. One of the things Stone texts to Credico in January of last year is you should strap dynamite to your body and invite Isakov for another dinner. It's the least you can do for your country. So he was encouraging uh, to, a suicide to blow us both up <laughs> to become a suicide bomber. Um, so All anyway. Right. That sets up our next clip in which we uh, asked Credico about something that's in the indictment, which is something that Stone emails to him in April of 2018, in which he threatens Bianca, Credico's service dog, over what he has been saying publicly to me and to others. Let's uh, play the clip. Somebody Somebody's has threatened to, to steal this right? dog, you know. Well, it went beyond that. Didn't Stone threaten Bianca herself? Yes. You know? Yes. Well, you know, threaten what, what to steal the dog. Re refresh our yeah, recollection I'm about take what that maybe, goddamn dog away from you, and there's not a goddamn thing you can do well, about it. Talk about witness tampering. He yeah. probably knew that she was going to end up in the grand jury with you. Uh, she, yeah. Uh, he threatened to kidnap a grand jury witness. Yeah. Well, and, and in fact, Bianca was in the grand jury with with Credico. <laughs> yes. uh, so it, you know that's right. By the way, the full email exchange laid out in the indictment is Stone emailing to Credico, "quote You are a rat, a stoolie. You backstab your friends. Run your mouth. My lawyers are dying to rip you to shreds. Prepare to die." And then, unfortunately, Mueller's people delete the uh, actual words to say an ex expletive. So prepare to die, fill in the blank. But wait, wait, and, wait. But was threatening Bianca? No, no. That, was that wasn't an overt act in the indictment? The threat there was to Credico himself. Separately, in the same email exchange, Stone is saying he's going to take that dog away from you. 
So I don't know. It's I guess a threat of dog kidnapping, which I don't know is a federal crime. I don't know if that's a federal offense. But anyway, this has been uh, cited by Mueller as a case of witness tampering. And then the final one, which I think is our favorite. This is is my favorite. No question. This is our favorite. This came up in the uh, interview. And I'll just set it up by reading from page 19 of the Stone indictment on multiple occasions, including on or about December 1st, 2017, Stone told person two, that's Credico, that Credico should do a quote, Frank Pantangeli before the House Intelligence Committee in order to avoid contradicting Stone's testimony. Frank Pantangeli is a character in the film, The Godfather, part two, which both Stone and Credico had discussed who testifies before a congressional committee and in that testimony claims not to know critical information that he does, in fact. Credico told us just last month about Frank Pantangeli. Okay. He's Frank Pantangeli. Pantangeli. Wait, I'll split it in two. First of all, I got to do the Godfather and then Pantangeli, right? My youngest son had to leave this country because of this Roger Stone business. <laughs> all right, I. Make necessary arrangements, claim of false charges of being a back channel. But I'm a superstitious man, and if something should happen to him on the sixth train on the way back to Brooklyn, I'm gonna blame some of the people in this room. Uh, I don't know no Roger Stone. Oh, yes! I was in the olive oil business with his father, but. That was a long time ago. The FBI guy say, give me something on Roger Stone. So I said, Roger Stone this, <laughs> Roger Stone that. But they were all lying. All of it. What were they drinking? <laughs> Champagne cocktails. Champagne cocktails. What are they drinking? Uh, you know my father did business with Hyman Roth. He respected him. Your father did business with Hyman Roth. Your father respected Hyman Roth. But your father never trusted Hyman Roth or that Sicilian messenger boy, Johnny Olo. Well, I got to say, Isikoff, yeah. I think we're both big fans of uh, The Godfather. This was Godfather 2. He does a pretty spot-on Frankie Pentangeli. Yeah, he's not bad. He's not bad. By the way, that's uh, they call him Frankie Five Angels at some point. (laughs) Pentangeli means five angels in Italian or Sicilian or something. And if you all you know remember that that scene, he is a witness in front of a congressional hearing. He's going to testify against the Corleone family and And Michael Michael Corleone Corleone. And before he testifies, Michael comes into the hearing room and he's got this old Sicilian man sitting next to him. That's Vincenzo Pantangeli. And it is Frankie's brother. And they look at each other. There's this amazing moment when Frankie Pantangeli sees his brother Vincenzo. And all of a sudden, when he's questioned by the members of the committee, he says, ah, he was making that all up. You know, that was nothing. It was um, all lies. It was, it was all, all lies. lies. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite uh, movie scenes of all time. And who would have thunk that it would anticipate events in an indictment some <laughs> 30, 40 years later after the fact? I got to say, by the way, just thinking about this, I think Al Pacino, who of course played Michael Corleone in The Godfather, could make a good uh, Roger Stone uh, when yeah. the movie gets made about <laughs> You're right. All this. You're right. Well, so, it's a, we got another case of 
I guess, life-imitating art in this Mueller investigation. I think there's one major takeaway I have from all this, which is that if you want to know what's going to happen in the Mueller investigation, you obviously have to listen to Skullduggery because we anticipated almost all of this. Thanks for joining us on this special edition of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at SkullduggeryPod. Now you can watch the podcast on YahooNews.com and Roku Saturdays and Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Talk to you soon.